the Beyond the Studio podcast, and you're listening to Season 3, Beyond the Studio East Coast Edition. I'm Amanda Adams. And I'm Nicole Muller, and we're here to help you figure out the business of being an artist. Here we'll have honest conversations with artists, makers, and business experts, and dive deep into the work that happens beyond the studio. If you find value in listening to these conversations, please consider leaving us a rating and a review or sharing some of your favorite episodes with your creative community. It's the easiest way to show us some love and help others find the podcast. Thanks so much for listening. On today's episode, we are talking with Riley Vasquez, who is an artist based in New Jersey and New York. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Would you mind giving our listeners a little background on yourself, your work, your education and art history, and kind of what got you to where you are now? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The short version? Oh, take your time. We got we got an hour. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll, I mean, I try to keep it as short as possible. But So I was born in Dominican Republic, and my family and I immigrated when I was seven years old in 2002. And, you know... I mean, immigration is a, it's a big disruption in someone's life, um, especially if it happens at a time where you can remember it. And it did for me, which, you know, kind of goes to my work. But yeah, we, we immigrated when I was seven and we immigrated into an entirely new life, new culture, new language. I didn't speak any English when we first came. It was, you know, it just was what it was. But as soon as we immigrated, at around like eight years old, I started drawing. I don't think I ever drew, at least not for fun or anything like that. In the Dominican Republic, we were usually just playing outside in the streets in the dirt, um, playing with our neighbors, very like community-like environment there. And then coming to New Brunswick, New Jersey, which is where we immigrated to. I mean, first of all, we immigrated. It was like eight of us living in that apartment. It was in a one-bedroom apartment. It was like eight or nine of us. Mm-hmm. So... Most of us were, you know, my grandparents were sleeping in the bedroom and then most of us were like scattered in the living room, um, wherever we could sleep. But soon after, my grandparents and my parents like combined income and bought a house in North Brunswick, New Jersey, which is, I, which is where I grew up mostly. And that's kind of where I started drawing. And I just stuck to it. I started then and by the time I got to high school, I was pretty good at drawing. Not because I wouldn't say I have any special talent at all. I was just kind of good because I haven't been doing it for that long since I was eight to like 13 um, when I got to high school. So during that time, people were asking me to do a little commission. So they were like, can you draw my my mother? Her birthday's coming up or it's about to be Mother's Day. Can you draw my mother or my father or can you draw my girlfriend or my boyfriend or, you know, this person for this event, Christmas, birthdays, um, Valentine's Day. So a lot of that started happening. Then I started doing like little tattoo sketches. So. I had experience with, I had some experience with the business aspect of my career, I would say, which at that time was commission-based from that early age, which gave me the confidence in thinking like, okay, maybe, maybe I can do something with this. And it's definitely something that I enjoy doing and that gives me a lot of meaning and something that I felt I was good at too, which, you know, helped. So from after high school, I went to community college, did two years there, like two and a half years, and then transferred to the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, where I moved from about a year ago with my girlfriend. So now we're here living in, back in New Jersey, but going to school in New York at Columbia University. And 
yeah, now just focused on my career. And yeah, I think that's that's basically it. In terms of the work, the work is a lot about my family, a lot about my experiences. Yeah, I don't know if you have any other specific questions, but I think that's how I'd break it down in terms of the trajectory of where I'm at and how I got here. Yeah, I would love to know if you had other um, early artistic influences or mentors or, you know, people that were um, encouraging you to pursue this artistic, you know, passion of yours and whether or not you felt like you had a lot of exposure to other other working artists um, growing up. Um, I'm always curious, you know, how how a lot of kids will go from, from a, you know, a hobby, drawing all the time, to thinking, like, this is something that I actually want to, you know, pursue. Yeah, yeah. No, I did not. <laughs> um, no one in my family is an artist, really. I have plenty of creative people in my family, but none of them are doing it in terms of, mm-hmm. like, their work, in terms of making any income from it. They're just creative because usually it's because they have to be but yeah I think I didn't really have any influences especially not at an early age by the time I got to high school probably like junior senior year I started studying more of like actual artists of history and seeing some contemporary artists but not not to any extent being a lot of a lot of my experiences be of like the thought of being an artist was mostly a lot of it was commission-based which I do very little commission-based work now. Yeah, yeah. So it was more encouragement from your community and that you were getting hired a lot to, to do portraits, it sounds like. And were you ever um, getting to, to New York? Was that you know, part of the influence or was it really more within your own community? Yeah, so I never, I never really set out to be an artist. I never thought it would be interesting, especially not when I started. I never thought about the idea of being an artist. I immigrated then we were in the situation that we're in and there, I was in this space where I felt like I couldn't control anything that was around me and I couldn't, not the language, not the people. I didn't, I didn't know anybody like outside of my family. It was the only area of my life that I fell into that I had some kind of control in. So I think that's how I was led there. And the fact that I stuck with it just happened because it seemed like I noticed improvement and with that improvement came a lot of encouragement. So by the time I got to high school, I had, it wasn't really like all these experiences kind of led to me being where I'm at, but it wasn't planned at all. It was just, Mm -hmm. this is the situation. And it's like, if you want to make someone really creative, make them go through something really uh, disruptive, make them go through something really difficult or put Mm -hmm. them into, like there's no need to be creative unless you have a problem to solve. And I had a really big problem to solve. So that creativity fell into the medium of drawing at that time, which later in high school evolved to painting. And it was all technique based, trying to, well, trying to get it to a point where I felt like, you know, it was, the work was, looked right in terms of uh, craft. And also where people around me thought that the work looked right, that it looked good quote-unquote, you know. Mm -hmm. And what about the decision to, you said you transferred from community college to SAIC. How did that plan come about? And was that something that you decided, you know, from the time that you started school or something that kind of evolved as you were beginning to explore this further? Yeah, no, that that was decision time. That That was very intentional. At that time, I was, and still am, extremely interested in psychology too. So 
I mm-hmm. was studying it a lot and I was taking a lot of classes in community college on psychology as well as art. But, you know, it being that no one in my family had been an artist and it being that everyone expressed how impractical that kind of career career is and how difficult it is to make it in that in this career, which is extremely true. You know, it's it's not there's very few people that are able to make an income off of their creative interests. That's just a matter of fact. And of that percentage, of that very few, there's very few that are making a good living. And my parents wanted me to make a good living, especially. And, you know, it makes sense because they sacrificed so much so that my little sister and I could have a better future. So it makes sense that they want me to do something that is like one plus one equals two. Like you do this, you do this and you get these results because all that to say that psychology seemed like a lot more practical at the time. And I was super interested in it. So but I knew it wasn't what fulfilled me, like what fulfilled my soul, what fulfilled that thing that I had since I was a kid that gave me that kind of power where at one time it was the only thing I could control. And then it was a thing that kind of allowed me to express myself and gave me a certain power. So, yeah, yeah, I, it was a very difficult situation, a very difficult decision to make to, to pursue art. But um, I talked to one of my counselors in community college and she was like, are you good? Like, are you good at are you good at drawing? Are you good at painting? Are you a good artist? And I was like, <laughs> I was a little cocky, so I was like, yeah. <laughs> and she was like, All right, yeah. So, yeah. And then she was like, if you're good, then you shouldn't have an issue. And if you're willing to work at it, you shouldn't have an issue. Because I was thinking like, Plan A would be art, but always have a Plan B. Plan B would be psychology, like being some sort of therapist. So I, I didn't really specify. I just love learning about it. I didn't really specify what specifically in psychology I would pursue. But she was like, don't do that. She was like, if you follow, if you have a plan B, it's going to distract you from your plan A. Then I was like, all right, I'm just going to cross my plan B out. And another thing that made it super difficult is that I applied to so many schools, including SCIC. I applied to six schools, Pratt Institute, NYU, um, Hunter, CUNY. There was another, I think like Parsons. I, I applied to, it, it was six schools in total. And I thought, okay, maybe I'll get accepted by one or two or maybe three, and then I just make a decision like that. But it even made the decision even harder because I was accepted into all of the schools. So I was like, and it was, that time was, I had finished at Middlesex County College, the community college in December, and the Mm -hmm. spring semester was starting in January. And I had just applied to all these schools. So I was going to transfer in, not in the regular academic year, but in the middle of the year. So for the spring semester. So that time was really stressful. And like, I was thinking about all these things. And when she said that, I was like, yeah, I really want to pursue this thing. And me going to an art school definitely made psychology as a career because I was never interested in art therapy. Psychology as a career to not be, to like be off the table, basically. I could keep learning Mm -hmm. about it on my own, but it wasn't going to be something that I pursued as a career. I love the thought of that. And maybe I can just relate because I have a very defiant personality, but I love the idea of just completely eliminating your plan B and going all in. And I think it probably depends on personality. Like some folks will feel a lot better having a secure plan B or having, I don't know, even like a like a runway to get you to your plan and, and fully prepare. But there's something to be said about going all in. And I feel like as artists, we kind of are constantly going all in, both with the work that we create and sort of these wild career paths that we try to create for ourselves. And Nicole and I have talked about it before on the show, but I, I think it is worth mentioning, like, 
going through it based on your personality and like knowing what's the right decision for you yeah yeah absolutely and there there were a lot of things that also i mean my father was extremely strict so that inherently created a certain you know defiant nature within me but like i i knew that i was willing to do the work i didn't know what it would require of me in terms of like i didn't know how the artwork functioned i didn't know in terms of like conceptually what I would be discussing in my work. I didn't know any of that, but I knew like I had been working since I was like 10 or 12 years old, like packing grocery bags and then like at supermarkets. And then like I, I worked my whole life since like 10 or 12 to when I was like 20, I probably had like eight or nine jobs, painting, working at warehouses. I worked at CVS, I worked at Michael. So I was like, I was working, I was going out there and doing it. So it was very practical for me to think. And she also brought this up, the counselor. She was like, if you're, she said that if you have a plan A, if you have a plan B, it's going to distract you from your plan A. But she also said, you're either be an artist or you won't be. You're either be a full-time artist or you won't be. Like that starving artist thing is a myth because if you're not making money as an artist, then you'll probably have to make money to survive another way. And I already knew how to make money to survive another way. So it was mm-hmm. like, okay, so I just, I just go after it. And it's not like I'm going to starve. I'm still, if I need to work a job, I just do it. And then if things work out, then I won't need to. But that, it, it was very practical. It was a very practical decision, which was led by like my passions, which was helpful. The, that, the fact that I, was, that I had all that experience working before then, which a lot of it wasn't by choice, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting because we were just talking about this related to this year in particular and, you know, all of the the unplanned changes that 2020 has brought about, but with another artist about how, you know, it's just really shown them how how self-sufficient and self-reliant they can really be. And so I think there's something to be said for, you know, whether or not the circumstances you find yourself in are, you know, of your own choosing that just that knowledge, that belief that you can, you know, you've gotten through this before and you can continue to, you know, to support yourself and sustain yourself. And so I think that that belief is really strong and something that as artists, you know, we are, we are creating our own path. And so really relying on that knowledge as you move forward. I'm curious. So then what brought you to Chicago? Um, How did you decide on SAIC? I went there early January. Like I I mentioned, I was transferring for the spring semester. I went there early January of 2016. And I also visited, I think, all of the other schools that I applied to. And I was really impressed by the facilities in Chicago. And a lot of the other schools I applied to were in New York because, I mean, that's where some of the best art schools are. But I knew that New York was a lot for me, I mean, it still is a lot for me. And it's also like Chicago was cleaner and it wasn't as populated. The school was beautiful. It's, it wasn't as big. I had to use like transportation systems. So I knew that I could like figure that out fairly easily. And I also love the facilities in the school. So that decision, when it came down to it, it was between NYU and SCIC. And I knew that NYU did not, does not have as strong of a fine art program as SEIC, where like SEIC is known for that. Um, NYU, if anything, is known for Tish, which is the performing program that they had, the performance program, the video and performance. So yeah, I think that that's kind of how that decision came about. And I also wanted to start fresh, start new. And it felt like I was in a place that was too familiar in 
the East Coast, which, you know, today I would probably make a different decision just debt wise and financially, because it is something that mm. is real and it's something that you do have to deal with as an adult. But mm. I would not I would advise someone to do different, but I would not have done it different just because that's how I got here. So I need to just keep going on the path that was mine. And I just trust it, you know. Mm -hmm. And so at that point, did you know that you wanted to continue on and pursue graduate school? Or did you think that after finishing SAIC, you would stay in Chicago for a while? What was that thought process like for you? In school, I thought that I wouldn't go to grad school, to be honest. When I finished school, I saw the value in grad school just by talking to one, like my roommate at that time, who's like one of the most brilliant people I know, who's still an amazing friend and resource and brother to me. His name is Kevin Demery, and he was in the MFA program at SEIC. So having a lot of conversations with him as well as, yeah, I mean, he, he was really impactful to for me to make that decision and i'm glad i did i'm glad i listened to him but um yeah i think that that's how that decision came about it was really seeing the value in it practically because i was doing fairly well in chicago but i knew that i could do better and i knew that i wanted to give my my work an opportunity to be like just to give it the best opportunity possible so yeah grad school seemed like a, a good decision at that time and you know this I would say it is <laughs> uh, for me because it's not it's not really this like no school is going to make anyone to be honest like it's not it doesn't matter if you go to the best school or if you go to like the environment does matter who you meet does matter but it's all on the individual because a lot of most of the people that come out of these amazing programs you never really hear about so it's not really the programs that really make the individual of anything it's the individuals that come out of the program that make the programs as well known mm -hmm. as they are. You know, and that's something that I was clear about. Like, it wasn't that if I got into this school, I would feel so lucky to be there. And I didn't have I could just like put my hands in my pockets and feel like I was taken care of. It's like, no, I still need to continue doing the work that I'm doing. And I need to work, keep working as hard as I'm working because the school is not the thing that's going to save me. That was crystal clear to me when I was applying to grad school. And I feel like. That's something that we need to be crystal clear about when we're applying to grad school. Just because you're in a good program doesn't mean that you'll be a successful artist um, or successful anything. Yeah. Oh, I love that. <laughs> um, Nicole and I, neither of us have gone to grad school. So it's always nice to be able to talk to someone in the middle of it because I'm like, so what's it like? Do you recommend it? Is it what are the expectations versus realities? And obviously, it being 2020, we're recording this in early August. There's a whole lot more going on in this world than you knew was going to happen during during your grad school experience. So what is that like shifting? How is it affecting your school experience? How is it affecting your work? Obviously, things like studio access have shifted and classes and I don't know, just critiques like I'm I am so curious about how all of that is going and kind of how how you're adapting yeah yeah it's probably going as as you think it's going it's not going well <laughs> um like you said we don't have studio access everything I mean it is the reality of the situation we're not going to receive what we signed up for because the times that we're in don't um allow that and that just is what it is. 
But before the quarantine, before COVID, I felt like the school was, I was getting, I mean, you, you never know how to measure the value that you're getting, especially in a school as expensive as the school that I'm in. But mm-hmm. I was certainly getting a lot of value in terms of the critiques, the people that were coming by for studio visits, the visiting artists that were there. I mean, my cohort's amazing. I love the 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 students. I love my my yeah my my class of 2021. Yeah, they're they're all amazing, and we have a really great class. Super talented. So I'm I was super engaged with them. But of course, this this has changed a lot. And studio being one of the main factors. I'm working from home now. I'm working from my apartment, so my apartment looks insane right now. It's just work everywhere. We no longer. Mm-hmm. It started like I had like a small section to make work. And then that like expanded to the living room space, which it's all like one space, but it like expanded there. And now, now it's like expanded into the the dining room area. So it's like it's um it's it's different. <laughs> it can really easily take over everything in your home. Yeah, and it has, and it has. Yeah. So yeah, I mean that's just the situation that we're in. But we'll see the upcoming semesters coming up, like yeah, in less than a month. So it's coming up very, very soon. So we'll see how that goes. But I don't have too many hopes for it to be going much different than it's been going, you know, which is fine because I feel in a super uh, blessed position to be able to make work right now because I know a lot of my friends' situation have changed dramatically and they don't have that space. A lot of them had to move back home. Yeah, a lot of things are, are changing for everyone. So I'm just trying to hang tight and continue to do my work. Do you anticipate that you'll continue working out of your your apartment space for this next semester, or did this you know factor into your decision at all? Had you considered taking any time off, or did you really feel you know c- committed to finishing out the program regardless of whatever um, you know access to space or, or resources you might have? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to sound I don't want to make this sound the wrong way, but I'm just trying to get out of there. Like, I just <laughs> I want to. Yeah, the reason my lady and I moved out here was one so that you know I could start this program. And now that things, now that I can't even go to like there, there's no reason for me to go to the school at this moment. It doesn't really make sense for us to be living like it's it's expensive here, you know. <laughs> like mm-hmm. um, things things are a certain way here. So yeah, I just I want to finish the program. A lot of students are making different decisions. But for me, I really feel like my family situation, everyone's situation's different. Everyone has just some people have people supporting them. Other people have to support others. And I'm in one of those situations where my like my help is needed outside of, you know, the school and my career. So I really just want to finish and then continue on career-wise and, you know, life-wise and everything else. But we do anticipate getting our studios back. I'm not sure how that's going to go, but that is part of the plan, which if that's the case, I'm I'm probably, like, it's fine if this is the situation for this upcoming semester. I'm more, like, I'm mentally prepared for that. So I'm just, it's a situation that we're in. So I'm just, like, making my work, luckily, and going forward. Yeah, and that's pretty much it. Like, staying focused. Yeah, it kind of circles back to what you were saying before it's almost like we're in a a worst case scenario right now so like 
where can you go from here? <laughs> like if you yeah. can, like if you can, if you can get through this, you can probably handle just about anything. Yeah, and... this is this is light work compared to immigration. So it's like this is this is fine, you know. Um, yeah, I, get, I yeah, I got this. Yeah, I know. I obviously we're going through a huge social and political shift right now, or at least hope, hopefully. <laughs> and the context of your work is a lot about your experience, especially through, you know, living in this country as an immigrant. And I'm so curious how kind of everything going on is affecting your work and kind of the way that you're thinking about your practice and kind of what you want to say or, or do with your work moving forward. Um, I don't know if that even makes sense as a question, but I guess in the in the context of everything, but also there's no pressure to um, talk about it. Uh, what's going on right now? Um, no, I, I appreciate that. No, you asked, so I'll I'll say something. I well, in terms of like how it's affecting my work, the short answer is it's not. It's affecting me, and but the way that I see the trajectory of my work, or that the work that I hope my work does, if that makes sense, is to be seen in the future. I don't really think of I don't think of my work being like if we're going to talk about it in terms of like doing something like being productive um I don't see it doing anything in the short term per se except for like very little things but yeah th- there's this quote that I don't I don't remember who said it but it's like the future of the importance of my work I cannot know and you cannot tell me and I feel like that I always think about that and that the the value of the work the importance of the work is to be had in the future because there's plenty of artists that could have a really big moment now or a year from now that no one knows, like five years from now or 30 years from now or 100 years from now. So I, I try to keep it the vision for my work, like long term. So with with everything that's going on, I do feel like my work does or has always spoke on these issues in terms of my in terms of my personal experience because that's that's really what I focus on in my work. Uh, my experiences with immigration, being someone that's from Latin America, being someone that's from like specifically the Caribbean, Dominican Republic, someone who's of African descent, someone who's an immigrant. So in these ways, and these are all like communities that are really being affected and have been affected because it's not anything new, have been affected for a very long time by, mm-hmm. you know, just everything, just I don't, like the racism and everything that's going on um, and that's been going on in the U.S. and, and in the world. So yeah, I don't I don't see the work changing itself, but I do see like I, I am having these conversations a lot with a lot of the people that I'm close to, a lot of artists, a lot of people that I look up to, a lot of mentors of mine. So that's been super important for me. Yeah, and well like you mentioned, it's important to note too that, you know, a lot of these issues that maybe Maybe there is more of a spotlight currently. There's more national attention or they are sort of, you know, coming into the mainstream, but they're not new issues. It's it's not, you know, new as a lived experience. And so I think that, yeah, it's important to recognize. But I, I also appreciate what you said about <clears throat> taking the the long view of your own work, too, and really, you know, considering the, the context, not only now and, you know, maybe you know, in the past based on your own life experience, but in the future that this is, you know, a story that you want to tell throughout your life. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for me, whenever, 
there's just like I've tried making work about things that are happening currently, and sometimes it like sometimes it feels forced, and it's usually because I haven't like if something happens today and let's say a week from today I'm making work about it. It never feels like I've digested it properly, so there's something about it that doesn't feel right about doing the work that I'm doing if I'm talking about something that just happened. I feel like it really takes a lot of time for me to be able to experience it fully, like digest it and even talk about it a lot of times, especially my work. Mm -hmm. I feel like by by the time it gets to my work, it's going to be subliminal. It's not going to be something that is super intentional. Yeah, which, which, you know, brings it to another conversation, too, about how intentional everything that you're doing in your work is and how, because a lot of the things that I'm doing, I'm not even aware of. And people, like, point out, and it's just that it's just a part of the process, you know? Yeah, I think so often we make these decisions creatively because they feel intuitive and it makes sense to, you know, whatever we're doing. And then over time, it sort of makes a little bit more sense. And you're like, oh, yeah, I can totally see like, I wasn't thinking that at the time when I was creating it. But now looking at it in the context, I can see how, you know, the world around me or how this specific thought process clearly directed the work and like, made these certain elements stand out or whatnot. And also, it can take so long to process our experiences. I mean, I think, probably as humans, we spend lifetimes just trying to process our own childhoods. And like, on top of all of the additional experiences that we're going through with life. And, you know, as artists, especially, we try to find ways to communicate our experiences for those that can relate or for those that can't relate. Or I don't know, everyone has their own purpose and intention behind their work. But I think the I don't even know where I'm going with this, but the art can make such a a difference in the the communication of experiences and and sort of how we understand what we're going through even years removed. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think it's also like for the artist it's important to know what your process is and how you work. For me I think that's that's super important because I know how I work and I know how I don't work. And so there's certain things that I just don't do because I know that that's not what feels right and that's not how I make the best work. So me knowing that is really helpful, just like for my own for my own process. And yeah, yeah. I was also curious, this is a little bit of a shift, but as you were talking about what this next semester would look like if you had felt like, you know, being based in New Jersey, New York area was, was sort of a return home to you. Like, is this um, some place that you plan to stay rooted for a while or do you have other other ideas in mind for once you finish at Columbia? Yeah, I'm, I really, I mean, being away from family, like when I left to Chicago, I was away, you know, I saw them, I I traveled back to see them frequently, Um, not really frequently, but you know, a few times a year. But being here, I can see them like a few, sometimes a few times a month, where like right after where we get off of the podcast off the phone, I'm going to go and see my family so it is I have realized how important it is for me and my work like to be in touch with my family we were supposed to be I mean still today I'm supposed to be in Dominican Republic but obviously because of COVID I was going to be there for a month and do a lot of yeah I was going to do a lot of things visit my family there go to Santo Domingo which is the capital and 
talk to a lot of artists that are there, uh, make mm. relationships with a lot of galleries. Like I had um, a lot of plans to um, do a lot of work there. And also I take a lot of photos when I'm there, get a lot of references and, you know, resources as well while I'm talking to people because it, it has a lot to do with the histories that I'm talking about in my work and the people that I'm talking about in my work. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, all that all that has changed. But definitely being clo- uh, close to my family is something that's super important to me. And as my girlfriend and I are talking, we're like, where are we going to live? And it's like, yeah, I, cer- I don't I don't want to live in New York. And I know that just because the pace of life is not the one I like. I like land and I like nature. And they're saying, yeah, I just wouldn't really get that in New York, at least not at this stage. But New Jersey has like one of the highest uh, property tax or has the highest property taxes in the whole country. So it's like, Jesus, my whole family, apart from the ones that are in the Dominican Republic are in New Jersey. How do I make the best decision financially and also in terms of, you know, the family that we want to build and everything else? So it's like it's really important to to consider all these things. But we've been looking probably going to stay in New Jersey for a while. But yeah, still still thinking about that. I'm like on Zillow every day. Just I love studying the real estate market and just seeing what's out there. So I'm always on it and researching. And, you know, it's a super it's it's inspiring um, to be doing that research. And it gives me a, a firmer grip on what the future might look like, you know, being involved with just those numbers and everything like that. My husband and I do the same. But it's really nice to know what's available. And who knows? I mean, maybe the housing market might be more affordable. Who knows how COVID is going to be impacting all of that. But it is a really nice thing, especially right now as we're stuck in one place to be able to sort of fantasize of like, man, I could have that house. I mean, not realistically, but I'd like to. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It just takes a a lot of planning and a lot of sacrifices. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm like, we're, we're... well, I personally love it, and I usually bring it to her, and she's, you know, I got, her, I, I happen to get her excited sometimes, so that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's fun. That's really fun. Yeah, I am curious to see in what ways this will shift, you know, access to space or even like different housing markets once we sort of get over this hurdle of the pandemic. I think someone we were talking to earlier even mentioned like, you know, it's it's undoubtedly a really economically challenging time. Um, you know, and a lot of people are struggling. But if you can figure something out, I mean, real estate's going to be really cheap potentially. So it's kind of an interesting moment that we're in. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. So I was looking at your website the other day and I was looking at where you had been showing and it looks like you've been showing work this year. What has that experience been like and kind of trying trying to get your work in front of people during a pandemic? Yeah, it's so weird. It's been virtual. That's like mostly it's been virtual. A lot of spaces I'm working with are doing by appointment. So that's that's way better because I at first I wasn't really entertaining the idea of doing any virtual kind of work because to be honest like what what's the point of doing a virtual show if you can just put it up on Instagram or like have it on your website but since a lot of these spaces are doing these um, appointments by appointment and actually showing the work in person that's that's a really important part of having an exhibition for the artist you know having an audience interact with the work so yeah i've i have been in quite a few shows and 
there's a lot. I'm going to be in quite a bit more um, coming up towards the end of this year and, you know, going on to next year. But to be honest, I thought, I mean, we probably all thought back in like April or May that by September it would be not that big of an issue anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's still an issue and it looks like it's going to be. It look, yeah, it's weird because it looks like for me, it's like it's been like four months, almost five months of just it doesn't seem like time's passing by because um, mm-hmm. just been in kind of the same environment, um, not traveling, not doing as much. But it's, it's just a really strange thing where like summer's almost over. And it's like, where did it go? You know? Yeah, it feels like we missed it completely. I mean, it feels incredibly hot right now. So I know that. But yeah, there were no vacations. There were were no drinks with friends. There were no beach trips or I don't know, any any real outdoor things. Yeah, it's so strange because I'm in the Bay Area here um, in California. And I've always sort of felt as like someone who grew up and lived exclusively on the East Coast up until you know, three years ago that the the lack of seasonal change was so strange and it, it already kind of, you know, created that feeling that you're, you lose track of what time in the year it is. And so that's been so amplified now where even when Amanda was telling me yesterday that there were these summer storms coming through Baltimore and it was like a hundred degrees out, I was like, oh wow, that's, yeah, I forgot what that's like. Cause it's just, <laughs> every day is the same. Yeah. yeah. For better or for worse. Yeah. yeah, I didn't yeah. even think about the storms until this morning when I looked outside and saw the weather. I, for context, I grew up in South Florida, so I'm like, mm-hmm. it's a tropical storm. This is nothing. This is easy breezy, but also this is Maryland. This is not Florida. The mm-hmm. infrastructure here is not quite so supportive of things like hurricanes and tropical storms, whereas, you know, Florida, they're built to handle it more which is why i was like wait do we need to cancel are we gonna lose wi-fi and you did uh you lost internet but are still able to be here which we are grateful for yeah Um, yeah so have you been continuing to have things like virtual studio visits then and you know how how are you kind of navigating or like what other shifts have you seen in terms of exhibiting your work and you know working with galleries um and things like that since we've all been sheltered in place yeah i mean i have been doing a lot of virtual visits and i still stay in touch uh, virtually with a lot of my friends and other artists and new artists too who i am just meeting where you know setting up you know i, I probably would have met them in person had this not been the case but we're mm-hmm. still trying to you know meet and have these have some sorts of conversations so we're still doing a lot of that and yeah it's just it, we're doing it in a new way and I think it's really interesting kind of the the solutions that the uh, galleries have been forced to come up with which are you know some are really creative and I think these like this time is going to be a time where we won't be able to get over it in terms of like the like in a good way too where the solutions that have come up now in terms of like virtual exhibitions, things like that, I think a lot of them will remain way past um, when this, you know, hopefully when this is over, I think there'll be a virtual opportunity as well, as well as, you know, having the actual opening reception and having the galleries open and things like that. So yeah, it's really interesting to observe that and also to have conversations with 
a lot of different galleries about what they're working on at the moment. And a lot of them are super busy and are doing quite a lot, um, even more than they were before, which is really interesting. Mm. Have you noticed a difference in kind of your experience as an artist between showing virtually and showing in person? Um, Like, have you seen a big difference of how your work is received, um, sales, everything? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like I mentioned, an online exhibition, it's hard for it to register in my head as an exhibition because, you know, having, like, there's, the in the business side of it, it's like, yeah, I can put it on my website, I can put it on my Instagram, I can put it up on just any kind of web page or social media, and a large audience will see it. But there is that aspect of it where when it's with a gallery, you're connected with their network, you're connected with their collectors, you're connected with their audience and the people that really, you know, buy from the gallery or the people that, that the, you know, the gallery has under their list of, of audience members. So there is that aspect of it, just talking business which makes it something that may be worth doing but at the same time i'm making a lot of work which i am not planning on showing this year at all i'm going to hang on to either for my thesis in school or for um, next year whenever things clear up and an audience can have that interaction like i'm planning on being in some art fair so maybe for those but we know that we don't know what's going to happen so yeah, I'm just I'm kind of playing it by ear, but it's it's a very different experience and I do have to be strategic with not just making great work and just putting it in, you know, just putting it out there and it goes basically from my studio to a collector's home where it may not be seen past that. It's really, yeah, that that aspect of it of an audience engaging with the work is something that's truly important and something that I really consider when I'm deciding where the work's going to go. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like a lot of these opportunities have been facilitated through being in grad school at Columbia, like the types of, you know, people, whether they be curators or gallerists that are coming typically to do studio visits? Or are there other, you know, ways that some of these have been coming about, whether through proactive, you know, efforts that you've taken or, you know, other sources? Yeah. So a lot of the groundwork that I did, a lot of the base audience that I created, was in Chicago in undergrad. And I was always focused on the business aspect of my career as well as the the studio aspect of my career. So like, for example, and I know I'm not going to be answering your question in terms of like Columbia, because one of the reasons I'm not is because I don't know. I It's really hard yeah. for me to say if this opportunity is coming because I'm here, whereas I do know the work that I did do in order for me to have the first opportunity for me to be in the first exhibition. Mm-hmm. Um, and that when I was in at SCIC, SCIC is a great school, but I wasn't offered it because I was in SCIC. Mm-hmm. I was offered it because of this that I did. And what I did was I felt like my work was at a point where it could be shown. And when I got to that point, I, you know, I documented the work. I, I did all the logistical things that you need to do in terms of like creating your CV, creating image lists, creating your artist statement, making that as strong as possible, using the resources and people around you to 
uh, make that as strong as possible. But every single day before I would leave to school, I would apply to five opportunities. I would apply to five exhibitions, basically. Or I would like reach out to some magazines. I would just put my email with my work and a whole bunch of different potential opportunities. And it would be five a day, which is a lot, especially yeah. when you consider that that's 35 a week and that's 140 per month. You know, it's a number. It becomes a yeah. numbers game because when you're applying to that many things, one of them has to say yes. I mean, you know, like it, yeah. it becomes a numbers game. If you apply to 10, maybe none of them respond because maybe you didn't apply to the right ones or maybe you didn't even see your email or, you know, it just wasn't the right fit. But if you apply to that many, then one of them has to uh, click and, you know, multiple click. Then then I was like in three exhibitions and there's something that happens when because of that groundwork, I was now in three exhibitions. So there was no point of me continuing to apply because all my energy was like on getting these works to these exhibitions and making that as great as possible. But the interesting thing that happened is that from those three exhibitions two other people, right, because your work is in front of an audience and then that audience is potential collectors or curators or just people that love your work. So maybe you got some follows on Instagram, but maybe you get an opportunity from a curator to be exhibited in another exhibition that they're putting together. So I got people reaching out to me for that. So like I continued applying, applying, applying. I did this for a few months and got into exhibitions, stopped applying and then applied again. And it got to the point where I didn't need to apply because people were offering me opportunities just based on the fact that my work was out there, which is a really awesome place to be in where people are like, hey, do you want to show here? Because no, just because I was in that school doesn't mean that people are offering me to show anywhere. That wasn't the case at all. So yeah, by putting myself out there, I was able to get those opportunities. And then it gets to the point where it's like, you know, it takes a while, but it gets to the point where you're having to say no to some opportunities because there's so much happening. And then that's like a place where you have some kind of leverage where you can say, no, I don't want my work to be in this. I do want my work to be in this. I don't want to work with, with this person as a partner. And you start to kind of get that uh, business like leverage. Whereas if you're just, if you're an artist and you're not thinking about that aspect of it and you're just kind of waiting for someone to hand you an opportunity, then it's not going to be, it's not, I like to move as if I'm, as if it's my fault that I didn't get it. And it's, it is thanks to me if I did get it, you know, <laughs> like that. And that's paid off just because I've, I've studied a lot of people that move that way and it's paid off for them. So I'm, I'm taking notes and implementing that in my life as well. Yeah, we I know we talk about it on the podcast sometimes, but rejection is so much a part of the process of being an artist and like pitching yourself to people that will probably never get back to you. And some of those opportunities do, you know, lead to opportunities or um, some of those pitches lead to opportunities and sometimes they go ignored. Do you have an estimate of sort of percentage wise the breakdown of like how many opportunities you submitted yourself to and how many of them actually came to be yeah that's the dope thing like it really hurts to be rejected if you know if you put all your eggs in one basket i was not depending on one person to say yes i was depending on one person out of 140 per month to say yes and mm -hmm. if one person says yes i'm not hurt by it because that's one person out of 140 that could potentially give me this opportunity so if 
you're just depending on one person to give you an opportunity. And, you know, we all kind of make that mistake. I still make that mistake sometimes where I get hurt if someone says no or say, they say it's not the right time or, you know, whatever the mm -hmm. case may be. And even if I say no to someone, I'm sure it feels the same. But if, they're, if I'm asking a whole bunch of people and one of them says no, then it's okay because I can move on to the next person um, or the next opportunity. So I feel like, and I also, this is a side note, I also used to do modeling back in Chicago. So I was with this agency and they would send me to, to do like castings to see if they would hire me for whatever part it was. And what, you're talking about rejection, like <laughs> that's rejection. <laughs> They're like, nope. So you take the time, you go out there and then they say no. So then, you know, you go home and then you go to the next one and they say no. And that's like in person. So like doing the work that I was doing with the, with all that, it's like, I don't really, I didn't even think about the people that said no, because I was thinking about the people that said yes. I was thinking about the exhibitions that are in my CV today, not the ones that, you know, said no. And that that's just, that's just the case for any groundwork that you do. You do have to like prove yourself and you do have to put yourself out there in a usually in a dramatic way to be able to get any kind of result. And a lot of the work that you do is for free and it has to be because you haven't proved there's a market. You have to prove to the market that, that they should allow you in. And if you go to one place and they say no, you can't just think, oh, I guess I'm not worthwhile when there's like thousands of other places available too. So yeah, just working on my craft, working in the studio, really developing my work as I still am and also putting myself out there in that way is what really led to that. But I, it's, it's too many, it's probably over a thousand that said no. But at the same time, I never, ever, ever, ever think about that because I just think about the, the ones that said yes. Yeah. Oh, I love that story so much for so many reasons. And I feel like we talk about cold calling all the time too. And it's so important for other artists to hear that because again, like there's just this mystery and assumption and, you know, you just look at the list of exhibitions or opportunities or whatever on somebody's CV and you just think, oh, like they're just getting all of these opportunities. But um, to, to really hear, like there is a lot of time and energy and effort beyond just the work itself, but really to to create those. And I feel like we've heard that, you know, echoed by so many other artists that we've talked to. And I know personally, I can say the same is true in my own life. Um, you know, as a painter, I've done a lot of outreach to art consultants and, you know, people that I thought could could help with moving work and selling work. And so that sometimes takes a long time to come to fruition. You know, there are opportunities that actually have come about just this year that I could probably trace back to, you know, initial emails that I sent like five to seven years ago. So it takes time. And sometimes, you know, you just have to, to ride that out. But I think recognizing that you have a lot more, you know, power and control over your own destiny than you realize. And just like you said, shifting your perspective. So you're just focused on you're focused on the wins and not the losses. You know, I got rejected from an exhibit last week, but it's like you just you keep moving and you don't think about it and you just pay attention to what what's next. So I, I love that you said that. Yeah. And I also think like it, it should take time because like, um, you need to be you become tough. And I think it's super important to become tough. You grow like thicker skin. You need people to say no to you like that's 
that's what should happen because you know it's like everyone's saying yes to you you're getting everything you want you, you're like a a one-year-old like <laughs> like that's that's not the way yeah. to to go about things because you shouldn't always get everything you ask for and you should have to work for the things there's that like everything that's like everything that's worthwhile is hard like it it should be that way or else like there's a reason why it takes like a decade for a person to become a doctor they're not you're not just going to go in there and become a doctor and and those in that decade is tough too so it's like you do have to kind of go through that to be able to make it sustainable at least because you could have a one like i said you could have a one-year success and that's awesome but what i'm really striving for is something that's you know lifelong where i'm like not only developing my work but i'm developing myself too and i would not have liked it if the first five that i applied to were like oh yeah come and you know come and be in, we'd, we'd be happy to have you in our exhibition that wouldn't be i would not like my life or you know people that i love's life to go that way yeah it's almost like a sign that you're not reaching high enough or you're not really challenging yourself or striving maybe if things are coming too easily not that it should always be hard or a struggle but just that you should always be reaching right absolutely yeah 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 definitely and i mean i i've studied a lot of people that have done incredible things and a lot of them it takes it's really difficult and it takes a really long time but they're committed and they have their head down and you know they it, it just that's that's kind of what it has to be yeah yeah i think there's tremendous value in it being tough um mm-hmm. just for one's own character kind of development i'm curious too cuz you just seem like somebody who has this like spirit of resiliency and self-sufficiency and are are really proactive with everything you do and like that recognition that you know it's it it all comes back to to the time and effort that you put into it is this also something that you're seeing from you know other peers or other artists um, or even in grad school like would you say that you're having these types of conversations yeah I'm just wondering how much a part of the experience that is um, and if you are you know, kind of seeing seeing other artists around you making similar moves, or if this is really just coming from your own volition. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it comes from, well, I mean, one of the most important or like impactful people in my life has been, I would say my father, who is someone that's mm-hmm. like super stubborn. I'm like almost as stubborn as he is. Um, <laughs> I'm like a little more, I would say I'm a little more open. Um, and I think he would say that too, but he's, he's very stubborn, but he's also extremely disciplined and he's still studying today. He's been studying for the last 18 years that we've been in the U S and he was studying the Dominican Republic. So like he's super disciplined. He taught himself English in the Dominican Republic. He became like an English teacher in the Dominican Republic. He came here and at first he was working straight factory jobs, which I observed cause I, there's this thing like I, I would never see my father, so I would notice the fact that he was present more than, like, I would always see my mother. My mother was always home the first, like, one or two years that we immigrated. But I don't really have her in my memory of that time. But I have my father imprinted because I would see him, like, once a week because he was working both days and nights. He would, like, leave at, like, 7 and come back around 11 p.m. And I was asleep in between that time. So it's, it's a really strange thing about remembering the things that aren't present you know which is yeah it's a it's a really really weird thing but yeah i think he's his like determination his discipline is something that i observed and 
it's not something that he had to like he did talk to me about it but even if he didn't i just watched him be that and that was yeah. like an example that was set for me and this is like sacrificing like talk about sacrifice they left their families they left their language my father was an english teacher my mother was a lawyer when they moved they were like fact they're both factory workers so it's like you talk about sacrifice and all those things it's like yeah i and i like i'm also like really like financially i'm really frugal so mm-hmm. i'm like i'm always working towards the future i'm always working towards something and i'm willing to sacrifice today for that i'm willing to you know wake up two hours early to apply to these five opportunities when my class is at nine so i need to wake up at like six because um, my commute is like an hour and you know i i also will go to the gym in that time too so it's like there's there's a lot of things that if you're willing to sacrifice like if you, if you see an example of like oh if you sacrifice this you can potentially get this later on and you see that that's a possibility and you see people doing that then you're like okay then i'll sacrifice too because i do want that really great reward later on i always say like if you told like any like 18 or 20 year old if you do these these and these things when you're 30 or 35 or 40 you'll i don't know like let's say you'll like be a millionaire there are things that you can do and there's things that you shouldn't do that will lead to that place but very few people are willing to sacrifice and if you don't and if you haven't mm-hmm. sacrificed for 18 years there's nothing that there's nothing in your pattern that says that you're going to start sacrificing then you know so yeah i would definitely give that credit to my father yeah wow that's really incredible I was just going to ask if there is anything that we haven't really talked about yet that you feel is important to share, you know, whether it's a part of your story or just something that you feel like isn't isn't talked about enough um, that you would want to share on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Is there? I think so. Well, there's one specific piece of advice that I received that I think is really bad advice. (laughs) And I would like to share that. Yes, give us that bad advice. So do not follow this advice. Yeah. <laughs> advice not taken. <laughs> advice slash like wrong perspective to have on things. And it's that things aren't that simple. You know, it's not that simple. People say that all the time. And things are actually extremely like most of the things that you want to do are actually pretty simple in terms of concept and in terms of like step one, step two, step three. It may not be easy but it is simple and i think that that's like super important because whether it's like from family members or friends or people i mean people that wanted the best for me people that didn't understand the vision that i had you always hear and it's not just me like i know my friends like you always hear oh it's not that simple oh i want to do this well yeah it's not that simple so you just don't do it whereas like if you kind of break it down then you know it's it's extremely it becomes extremely simple. It may not be easy. Like there's still like hard work that you have to do. You may have to cut back on this. You may have to do a little more of this, but it's still very, very possible. And if someone's done it before you, probably in the worst situation than you're in, then you should be able to do it. And maybe you just need to change that that perspective just a little bit. So yeah, that's that's one piece of bad advice, but I feel like that might be a, a bad way to like a, a hopeless way to end things 
I don't know. I feel really inspired just hearing your your perspective and attitude and how, I mean, you've really internalized all these beliefs and it, there's evidence of that in your, you know, your life, your career, your work, and just hearing you speak about all of those things. And so I think there's really a great message in here about, um, you know, again, just working hard and, and going for what you want and continuing to, you know, strive and, and to take those steps. Um, I think just you know, the, the value of the, that long-term perspective, I feel is just reaffirmed over and over again, um, with conversations we have with artists. And so, yeah, it's great to, to hear that. Um, and also to, I think what's been really interesting too, is to hear, um, your perspective as someone who is, you know, still in the midst of, of grad school is still, you know, pretty early on kind of just starting out in your, what I, know is going to be a lifelong career and just, you know, again, hearing with all the shifts um, that we're going through, what, what that has been like for you too. Yeah. 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 It's really strange for me to feel like I'm giving advice where I'm like learning so much still. But <laughs> oh, we all are. Isn't that, isn't that life? <laughs> Won't we always be learning? Yeah. It's like, what At position I am I in to be giving real advice when there's so much advice out there, you know? But yeah. Yeah, it's interesting times. And yeah, I'm glad you guys had me on. Um, it's been really wonderful talking to you. And thank you for, you know, letting me share my story and my experiences. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on to the show. It was a pleasure talking to you. And we're really excited to see where your career continues to go and grow. Yeah, and I don't think you ended on like a, a negative note or anything. I think it's I think it's important to be realistic with yourself and I think often we use I say we as in like a society will use things the excuse of like it's complicated as a reason not to do things or not to fix things when like complicated is not an excuse we can fix things and oftentimes they're not even remotely as complicated as we suggest that they are like yeah yeah and I feel like a lot of times we also receive the message that we're okay the way we are like you're you're fine the way you are you're enough the way you are and i feel like that's such a bad message because a lot of us know that we don't feel okay with where we are and that we want more whether it's like mentally or you know financially or family wise um belief wise like we usually know that we're not okay the way we are and we receive that message a lot so i think like a better message is like you would know where where you know where you should be um or where you could be and I think that's way more hopeful because then it's like, okay, so I could be more instead of I'm okay where I am, which obviously is not working out for me. So yeah, yeah, I've, I've received both messages and I feel like one which is supposed to be hopeful, which is you're okay the way you are, you're fine the way you are, you're enough, is not, is not at all. It's not really encouraging at all. If people want to continue to find and follow your work, where can they... Where can they find you? I think Instagram is probably the best. I have my website link there at Rileys, R-A-E-L-I-S. Um, yeah, that's my IG. Excellent. Um, and we'll include links to everything in the show notes so listeners can follow the links directly to your work and they can actually see what we're talking about while we talk about it. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.
That's it for this episode of the Beyond the Studio podcast. You can find show notes, references, and a brief summary of the episode over at our website, beyondthe.studio. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our mailing list to find out about upcoming guests, special announcements, and podcast giveaways. Um, what's the, is the video uh, segment of it going to no, be? No, not at all. Okay. <laughs> this is just, just so us. we can talk face to face, but we're only recording audio. Sounds good. Sounds good. Perfect. <laughs> it's funny. Everybody asks that and I, well, I always forget to share it up front. <laughs> like, don't yeah. worry. You're in your pajamas, yeah. whatever. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>